All right, testing, testing, one, two, three. Hey, everyone, welcome uh, to Think Again About God. This is Sean White, and it's been a while. Um, it's actually been a few weeks since I've done a podcast, so um, I'm back. <laughs> it's, I mean, give me a break. I, I, uh, I've got four kids, and I run a church, and there's a lot of people that i got to um, reach out to and take care of, so ah, just things have been busy recently. But... Um, I found some free time today to do this, so I'm excited to jump in. Um, you know, if you haven't listened to the uh, the episode five, what are you expecting? Um, go and listen to that one. Um, I there is so much information on that right right in that that podcast, which is 50 minutes long. It's actually a sermon that I did uh, a month or two ago, um, and. Uh, I guess it's causing a little bit of a stir, but it's it's cool. It's making people kind of think about what they believe and why they believe it, which is important. You know, I think we need to have a, a good, healthy skepticism. Um, uh, we shouldn't just take everything at face value. You know, you should under, you should know what you believe and why you believe it. Otherwise, you're kind of just being spoon fed information, and and uh, you don't really know if it's true or not. So, I encourage everyone. You know. Regardless of who you're listening to, weigh it out. <laughs> Do the research yourself and, and see. Uh, um, you got to know for yourself what you believe and why you believe. And I, I, really, I really believe that the most important thing about anyone's life is how you see God. And there are some really ugly views about God in the world today. And I think that um, what religion does, religion, I mean, religion is mentioned four times in the New Testament, uh, from what I remember. And uh, out of the four times, I think three times it's used in a very negative light. So um, I, I think that what religion does is that religion produces fear in people's lives. And throughout the scriptures, you constantly see God saying, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. The fear of the Lord is more like um, an awe or a wonder. Um, but the type of fear like, oh, God, don't smite me, don't hurt me, that's a wrong type of fear. That's, that's, the, that's an incorrect type of fear um, of the Lord. And uh, I think anything that you fear controls you. I think that's the purpose of fear. The purpose of fear is control. Um, so, uh, and like I said, throughout the scriptures, we see God constantly saying, fear not, fear not, fear not. I'm, I'm with you. He doesn't, he doesn't want us to fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Um, so uh, we, we really do need to be careful with this. And I think that any type of interpretation of scripture that produces fear in your life and keeps you from seeing the Father's love isn't worthy of your consideration. I don't. <laughs> I think it's, an, I think it's, I mean, we, we oftentimes try and interpret the scriptures uh, from a Western way of thinking when it was written in a ancient East, Eastern mindset. So um, uh, that gets a little confusing. Uh, so we really do need to take the culture and the, the, um, the context and the language into consideration uh, the mindset of that time. And uh, like I said, I, I believe that any uh, interpretation of Scripture that produces a wrong type of fear and keeps you from seeing or questioning the Father's love 
is an incorrect interpretation of Scripture and is not worthy of your consideration. Because the most important thing about you, once again, is, is how you see God. And the more we see him for how beautiful and how good he is, I mean, Romans 2, 4 says it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And so it's recognizing his goodness. I mean, Moses, when he cries out, show me your glory, God says, I'm going to make all my goodness pass before you. It's recognizing that God is good that we really enter into this place of belief and faith. And so God has to be good all the time or he's not good at all. So... Um, what I want to really get into this morning, and then I just pull up some of my notes here. I want to I want to look at this is something that I preached over uh, Easter time, um, uh, but I, I really want to take a look at this whole concept of the temple that we are of the Holy Spirit. And in, in Matthew twenty one, Jesus he rides into town on a donkey. It's called the triumphal entry, and people are waving palm branches and they're shouting Hosanna to the Son of David, and um, <clears throat> And as you go on and you see, you see Jesus and he rocks up to the temple and he clears the temple out because he finds the place and it's just full of people that are buying and selling and there's the money changers and basically the loan sharks are all in there. And you know people have those bracelets, right? What would Jesus do? WWJD. <laughs> um, I think that's like an inappropriate question to ask because I mean, when you look at this, Jesus is flipping over tables, right? I mean, this doesn't seem like Jesus, meek and mild. No, I mean, he, in, in some, uh, in another uh, story, it says that he actually creates a whip. I mean, so when someone says, what would Jesus do? Just remember that flipping over tables and getting, having like a righteous anger at certain things like this, it falls within that scope, Okay. And so uh, Jesus, he starts flipping over tables. You know, I think that the most a more appropriate question isn't what would Jesus do, but Jesus, what are you doing? You know, every type of study we should do should support the end goal of what God is doing. And what is God doing? I mean, what is the bigger picture in what God is doing? Because throughout the scriptures, it seems, it seems like God is leading towards something. And, and so we, we really do have to take a look at, you know, what, what is the bigger picture here? And we see Jesus, and he clears out this temple. I'll read it for you. It says, And Jesus entered the temple. This is Matthew 21, starting at verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple, and he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you, have, uh, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came in, came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant, and they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Now, something that we have to really take a look at, because like I said, I think that every type of study that we, should, that we do should support the end goal of what God is doing. But then the question is, well, what is God doing? And right from the beginning, right from the beginning in, in Genesis, and, and Genesis, um, it means origins. The real title of the book is in the beginning. But right from the beginning in, in the book of Genesis, we see God creating a space where heaven and earth would be one. So God created this garden 
in the territory of Eden. We call it the Garden of Eden, but really it's it's a garden that's in the territory of Eden. And and there is this these six days of creation that indicated to those who understood the world of the ancient Near East that creation itself, heaven and earth together, is a kind of temple system. So the garden that God planted in Eden is a heaven and earth location or space that existed as a temple. So in 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 every temple in the ancient times, there was always a statue of the god or gods that those people served. So there was like an image of, in that temple system that you'd walk into and you know, okay, this is the god that they, they worship. Um, this, however, is never the case with Israel. I mean, the one time that you do see them with, uh, uh, with a, creating an image is they, they, make a, they make a golden calf after leaving Egypt. But that was never what God intended uh, to represent himself. So the temple system that God created as a garden where heaven and earth would be one, he created an image, but it was us. We were created in the image of God. We were to bear uh, his image and to be a representation of him on the earth as his ambassadors. So we were meant to reflect who God is. So we were designed to look after God's world to make it fruitful, to have dominion and to populate it. We were meant to reflect him and to bring his creativity here and reflect the praises of creation back to him. So this space was just so important to God. It was a place where heaven and earth would come together to be one. And from that place, that space that God created, his, his kingdom would advance. Now, later on in in the book of Exodus, um, we see we see God created. Um, we see we see God. Uh, he he removes Israel from Egypt in order to bring them to the promised land, or if you will, a new Eden. So he removes them from from slavery. He moves them from uh, from Egypt, and there's the Exodus that takes place. And on their journey, a temple system is created. I mean, God didn't abandon his, and, and yeah, let, let me just make a point here. God, sometimes we, we, we see God as God like he, he hates sin and he can't, he can't look upon sinners and blah, blah, blah. Um, I think there's a lot of garbage. <laughs> because even after the fall, we see God journeying with his people through the wilderness. He appeared as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He parts the Red Sea. God wasn't separated from his people. God was always with his people. We talk about this great chasm. That's a topic for another time. But God was always with his people. He journeys with them. And so he, because he loves his people. And he creates this space and and he sets it aside and he calls it the tent of meeting. The tabernacle is this place where heaven and earth would come together once more. So first it was the Garden of Eden. Then we see later with the whole with the with the whole tabernacle system, it was a place, a space where heaven and earth would be one. And it actually says that Moses met with God face to face as a friend, as a, as, a, as a person speaks to his friend. And this whole temple system, because it was a place or a space where heaven and earth would become one, it came, it, it, it came to be known as heaven and earth. 
The whole temple system, that's the way it was known. It was known as heaven and earth. So there were these two rooms in the tabernacle. The holy place, which was called earth, and the most holy place, which was called heaven. The wash basin outside, that was called the sea. So God filled that space with himself, and Moses and Joshua and the priests would meet with God face to face. Now, moving from Moses, we actually see with David, when when David was king, he opened up the tabernacle to everyone. So he had 3,000 musicians and a 24-hour house of prayer and worship where they met with God, and heaven and earth collided in that space, and from the kingdom under David, the kingdom flourished and expanded because God always desired for us to have dominion over the earth and to multiply and to subdue it. And and so it was from that space where heaven and earth would be one, the, the kingdom would advance. And when you compare, when you compare the kingdom of Solomon, I'm sorry, and when you compare the kingdom of Saul to the kingdom of David, the kingdom of David's kingdom is so much larger than Saul's because he emphasized that space. I mean, it's so interesting. Uh, when Saul becomes king, the Ark of the Covenant has been missing. It's been missing for a long time. And you know what? He never goes looking for it. But David, on the other hand, one of his first acts as king, he goes looking for the Ark of the Covenant, which symbolized the presence of God, the throne of God, the dominion and the rule of God. And so he goes looking for it because David was always a man after God's own heart. He was a man that was after God's presence. He was a man who recognized the importance of having that space that God has always desired, a space where heaven and earth would be one. And then when, and then moving on with Solomon, I mean, when Solomon built the permanent temple structure, they brought the Ark of the Covenant into it, and God filled that space, and heaven and earth collided once again, and there was this even greater expansion of, of the kingdom of God taking place under the rule of Solomon. And it's such a great, it's such a great scripture verse when you read it. It's from 2 Chronicles chapter 5. 2 Chronicles chapter 5, starting at verse 11. And it actually goes like this. Now he's dedicated the, the whole temple system and, uh, and all the priests are gathering. And it says, And it came to pass when the priests came out of the most holy place, for all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without, um, without keeping to their divisions. And the Levites who were the singers, all those of Asaph and Heman and Judithan, and the sons and their brethren stood at the east end of the altar, clothed in white linen, having cymbals, stringed instruments, and harps, and with them 120 priests sounding with trumpets. Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and the singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and the cymbals and the instruments of music, then praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy or his steadfast love endures forever. That the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud, so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, here it is. They're, they, they dedicate this space. God has always desired a space where heaven and earth would be one. They get the musicians together, they get the priests together, and they say this simple phrase, for he is good, for his mercy or his steadfast love endures forever. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. 
ever. And then all of a sudden, God shows up. And he, that, that space gets filled. Heaven and earth come together to be one. <laughs> and it, it's so crazy, too, because it's so, it's like Azusa Street Revival. It's like there's this glory cloud that comes in, and they can't even see where they're going. They can't continue ministering because how thick the presence of God is in that place. This is what God desires. And we know that the kings eventually fall away from desiring the presence of God. And Nebuchadnezzar comes and he destroys the temple. Um, Seventy years later, though, with King Cyrus, uh, God tells King Cyrus to make, to make God a house, to rebuild the house of the Lord. And so we see the rebuilding of the temple with Ezra the building of the wall with Nehemiah. But God is, God is always about this space of bringing heaven and earth together to be one. And so through, you, you find this throughout, throughout, the, uh, uh, throughout the years, this, this whole temple system it came, became known as, as heaven and earth. It's where God and his people would dwell together. And this space is important to God. Because it's a space of intimacy and knowing and fruitfulness. It's a space where his dominion and his kingdom advances and overflows from. So Jesus, the king of the kingdom of heaven, he rides into Jerusalem. And he goes straight towards his space, the temple. And he finds it full of loan sharks and money lenders and the money changers. And people are lying and cheating and stealing and they're occupying his space in a wrong way. Of course he's going to get angry. Forget your what would Jesus do thing, okay? This is what Jesus is doing. Because the bigger picture, we always have to keep the scriptures in light of the bigger picture of what God is doing. And he clears out the space. He gets rid of everyone in there. And he tells them. He says, my house, this space should be called a house of prayer. But you've made it a den of robbers. This is a space where heaven and earth were meant to meet together. Where there is intimacy and knowing. This space is important to God. God always desired to live with his people. To tabernacle amongst them. His name is Emmanuel. He's God with us. And when he first arrived in Bethlehem, think about it. When he first arrived in Bethlehem, there's no space for him. When Jesus was born, there was no space, no room for him anywhere. How much room have you made for God in your life? And we have to see the bigger picture. Jesus, the king who established Eden, the temple system, heaven and earth, came to make a space that God could fill, occupy, tabernacle, relate to us, be involved. And Jesus, he removes everything from that temple that shouldn't be there. Get out! And he makes a space. He repurposes that space so that heaven and earth could collide. And as soon as he does, as soon as he clears that all the crap, the blind and the lame come in, (laughs) right? And he heals them. Miracles and signs and wonders are released. The moment he drives everything out of there that should not be in his space, 
the blind come in, the lame come in, and all of a sudden the blind are seeing, and the lame are walking. And if you actually read this, um, the language seems to suggest that children see what's happening. And the understanding of the scripture is that they start running and shouting through the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. It's amazing what takes place when you actually make space for God in your life. Heaven and earth comes together when his temple functions in what it was purposed for. Worshipped. But something we need to understand is that Jesus, he's, he's an agent of change. And in John chapter 4, Jesus, he's, he's talking to this woman who was a Samaritan woman, which was a no-no back then. Because one, men didn't really talk to the women. Two, you definitely didn't talk to any Samaritan. So to talk to a Samaritan woman, that was like a big no-no. But you know, Jesus doesn't care for that. So John chapter 4, Jesus is talking to this Samaritan woman. He's telling, uh, who's, who's telling Jesus, we, we worship in this designated space. And the Jews worship in, in Jerusalem, in, in that designated space. And this is what Jesus says. It's John four twenty one. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. I mean, Jesus is basically telling her, I'm changing the temple system completely. Remember, this is what God has always desired, a place, a space where heaven and earth would be one. And so he, now he's telling her, he's telling her, um, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So he's saying, I'm changing the space. I'm going to change the temple system completely. I'm going to create a new temple system. And the, new, the temple system was referred to as heaven and earth. So he's saying, I'm creating a new temple system. I'm creating a new heaven. I'm creating a new earth. Remember, and we have to remember that Jesus said that the whole temple system would be destroyed. You have to listen to episode five. Uh, what are you expecting? It's called. It goes over this. What happened? To, what takes place in seventy A.D. But Jesus was was telling them that the whole temple system would be destroyed. Matthew five eighteen. He says, "For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished." And so he, he isn't talking about heaven and earth as we understand it. Because a lot of people, they read that scripture verse and they think, oh, well, so the law is going to be destroyed when heaven and earth, when heaven and earth pass away. But, but that actually can't be because if you, read, if you read Matthew 24, it says, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do not. Truly I say to you, there will not be left one here, one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So he's saying that the whole temple system is going to be destroyed. And just in the, in the chapter before, they, they were asking, When will all this take place? He says, Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. So if the whole temple system is going to be destroyed in a generation, which is 40 years, why does Jesus say, why does Jesus say in Matthew 5.18, that he says, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Are we waiting 40 years for the temple to be destroyed? Or are we waiting for heaven and earth to pass away, and then the law will be destroyed? Well, we have to understand the context back then. I mean, for one thing, earth here, if it was really earth as in the world, it would be the word cosmos. For God so loved the cosmos, he gave his only begotten son. 
John 3.16. But it's not cosmos. It's, it's, it's Gi, which is kind of like a geographical location. He's not talking about the whole world. He's talking about a small part of the world. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not a dot, not an iota will pass from the law until all is accomplished. He isn't talking about heaven and earth as we understand it. No. What did they think of when they heard of heaven and earth? They thought of the temple system. He's talking about the temple system. He was referring, which was referred to as heaven and earth. He is saying the temple is going to be destroyed. So basically it should read, For truly I say to you, until the temple is destroyed, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So when you read Revelations 21 verse 1, it says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed, and the sea was no more. Now once again, if, if, if John was actually writing and saying that there would be a new a new heaven and new earth, for a new earth, he would have used the word cosmos, but he doesn't. It's that gi again. It's that geographical location. They also use the word, it's, it's kind of like a eukamene or something like that. It's this Greek word that I can always butcher. But he says, for the first heaven, the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Now, I've always hated this scripture verse because if, we're, if this really is about a new heaven and a, and a new earth one day, why would there be no sea? I mean, I love the sea. I love taking walks on the beach. I love swimming in the ocean. I love the salt water on my skin. Like, I, I love it. It's like, God, how could you not include a sea? Come on, right? Fish, swimming, dolphins. Like, please, like, like we, we got to have some type of body of water, right? But like I mentioned, in the temple system of Moses, there were these two rooms in the tabernacle. The most holy place and the holy place. And outside, there was the wash basin where the priests would wash themselves. The wash basin became known as the sea. There's no more sea because we have no more need to wash ourselves. The blood of Jesus has made us clean. So, so it says there's no more sea. That's why I don't, I don't think this verse is actually referring to an actual physical new heaven and new earth because um, it also says, and the sea was no more. Why was the sea no more? Well, it was referring to the wash basin, and there's no more need for that in that temple system because we're in a new covenant system now. So there's a new temple. That means there's a new heaven and new earth. And actually, in the in the temple system of Moses, there were those two rooms, the holy place and the most holy place. The holy place had a dirt floor. They called that earth. The most holy place that, that housed the, the Ark of the Covenant, symbolizing the presence of God, that they called heaven. So heaven and earth, the temple system passed away in 70 AD, exactly when Jesus said it would, a 40 years from that time that he said it, which would have been around 30 AD. So 40 years later, that's 70 AD. So it's the, the heaven and earth did pass away and the sea is already no more. But he said that he was going to make a new heaven and earth. So which would mean that he's making a new, a new temple system. Because we're part of a new covenant. So, well, where is the new temple? Where is the new heaven and earth? 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? 1 Corinthians 6.19, Or do you not know that your body is a temple 
of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? See, Jesus has always been about making a space for himself to be with his people. And from the beginning, it has always been about having a space where heaven and earth would collide. And from that overflow, his kingdom would advance. He completely changed the temple system of old and built a new one in which we ourselves are that temple. So I guess my question then is, how much space have you made for Jesus in your life? This is the temple system of the new covenant. This is the bigger picture of what God has always desired to have a space where heaven and earth would be one. That you yourself are and have an even greater potential to be a demonstration of what God has always wanted from the very beginning. A living, breathing, bodily expression of heaven in earth. God with us. Christ in us. And you read that in Colossians where it's the mystery of the gospel that's been discovered. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. But I mean, something you need to know about God, because remember, it's the most important thing about you, is that God is a gentleman. Revelation says he stands at the door and he knocks, asking you to let him in. See, God will only be as big in your life as you allow him to be. You know, so many of us try and fit Jesus into the busyness of our lives, but it works a lot better to fit our lives and the busyness of it around Jesus. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus at the center is what being a temple is all about. It's what surrender is all about. It's what worship is all about. Because worship always makes a space for Jesus at the center of our lives. It's the ultimate act of surrender. And throughout the scriptures, we see this, this theme taking, taking shape where God always occupies the center. I mean, when you look at the camp of Israel, for instance, the camp of Israel was, when you, when you do the study, is actually in the shape of a cross. But the tabernacle itself was right at the center of the camp. That God, his presence occupies the very center. That space is his when you look at the tabernacle, uh, on the top of the tabernacle, there were these two seraphim with their wings outstretched over the mercy seat. The mercy seat was at the center. That space belonged to God. So the, the seraphim had their wings over, outstretched over the mercy seat, and they're looking at the mercy seat. The mercy seat was at the center. The Bible says that God abides at the center of the praises of his people. When two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in their midst or at the center uh, of, uh, of them. Jesus died on a cross at the center or between two thieves. When the disciples were in the locked room, Jesus appeared at their, in their midst, at the center of them. The mystery of the gospel that has been revealed is Christ in us, at our center, the hope of glory. And in the throne room, God is at the center. I used to think it was more like a stage, right? But it says that God is at the center, and then there are the four living creatures around him, and then the 24 elders around them. And then it says that God is, is, is enthroned, is, 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 God is circled around, or he's got, he's got 10,000 times 10,000 angels in joyful assembly. That's 100 million 
angels around the throne of God. And so I think people are going to have a rude awakening when they get to heaven because they're they're there in this joyful assembly. And if you go to church and and it's kind of like the frozen chosen and people are just kind of just they're they're not expressing just how awesome God is. Um, you're going to have a rude awakening when you get to heaven because they say that the sound of heaven is like the sound of many waters, and it is just it is just so full of life. And there's probably angels head banging, and it's just people are clapping and shouting and praising and worshiping because God is at the center and He is the life of the party. <laughs> A life of surrender is a life that creates a space at the very center for God to fill. And from that overflow, where God is at the center, that your life would make a difference in this world. David's, David and Solomon and the expansion of their kingdom took place when they made a space. They, they cherished, they honored the space that, that they had with God. And it's from that place that, their king, that the kingdom advanced. God said, I wanted you to create a space, the Garden of Eden. And all of a sudden, it's from that space that I want you to subdue the earth. I want you to multiply. I want you to have dominion. I want you to take over. But it's always been, the bigger picture has always been that from that space a temple where heaven and earth are one from there his kingdom would advance so may you recognize the bigger picture in what this life is all about that God wants to be involved he wants to be at the center of your life not somewhere like in a dusty corner of your heart just in an attic somewhere just He wants to be involved in your life because he loves you. And may you come to recognize that. And may you come to see that really this life, is, it really is all about making a space where heaven and earth could be one. And it's from that position that the kingdom of God expands. And when God's love is really revealed to others, and faith and hope is embraced. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are a living, breathing, bodily demonstration of heaven and earth. The whole new temple system. And may you honor it. And may you honor that space with Jesus. I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, look forward to any questions or um, comments you may have. So please reach out. It's um, real Sean White at uh, what is this again? Real Sean White at gmail.com. It's the, my temporary email for now. But love to hear from you. Um, and please remember the most important thing about you is the way you see God. Have a great week, everyone. Take care. Bye bye.